Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. As we gather together today, there is a combination of things that we experience emotionally. There is, in one sense, there is a grief and a bitterness that comes. It comes because we come into the presence of the Lord knowing that in a sense we don't belong here. We know that God is a holy God and we know that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves as we will say in a little bit as we confess our sins. We know that we've fallen short, right? So there's kind of a bitterness in that and there's at the same time a joy knowing that God can forgive us of our sins. Amen? That He loves us. That He's loved us with an everlasting love and that He has made way for us to know Him. And so there's kind of a combination of things that that we're dealing with. Psalm chapter 5, David sings of this sweetness of what God has offered to all of us today. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, in Psalm 5. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray, and my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, and neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, and thou hatest all that work iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into the house of the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies, and make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very full of wickedness, and their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy them, O God, and let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But... Let all those who put their trust in thee, let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee, for thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. Thou wilt compass him 
as with the shield. Isn't he our shield and our buckler, our strength and our joy today? Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful once again to be called to worship you. Lord, we could be doing many, many different things today, but you've invited us into your presence, Lord. As we come before you asking forgiveness, Lord, we pray that you would forgive our sins. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness, O Lord. As we come today hungering and thirsting after righteousness, may you fill us. Lord, we long to hear your voice, and we pray today that we would and that it would change us, that we would be made more like you. Lord, may our praise and our worship be acceptable to you today, O God. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. standing as I read for you my text from John chapter 19 verses 25 to 27. My sermon today is called Mary, Mother at the Cross. I'm sure uh, our little exchange about it at the beginning uh, played into what Andy was thinking and, and, and into the uh, question about who we pray to because of course Annie has a background in Catholicism um, having the background I have that's never a thought it's you know it's always railed against and railed against but there are millions of people around the world who have been told to pray to Mary and they you know they have the Hail Mary and all that kind of stuff so um, but we shouldn't steer away from talking about her she certainly was not one of the deities we would not refer to her as the mother of god in the sense that somehow she's has a special avenue to god she was very blessed and highly favored amen uh and we can talk about that and there's really a lot to learn from just her few uh few hours at the cross and we'll talk about that today John chapter 19, starting in verse 25, says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister. Now, I'll point this out later. It's really not his mother's sister. Uh, but kind of like, you know how we call each other brother and sister? They had a way of referring to relatives in a close way. Uh, but obviously, if her name was Mary, her sister would not also be named Mary, right? But we'll get into that later. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he, Hugh the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. Let us pray. Lord, your word is so deep and rich and lovely. And today, Lord God, we will swim in deep waters. I pray today as we come to this moment 
in time, this part of your life in the crucifixion, Lord, that we would see the richness and the depth of the picture that you offered to us that day, not only offering us salvation, not only offering salvation to the man next to you, not only fulfilling the scriptures and being a witness of the providence of God, but Lord, you also took time to love and to care for your own mother. May we learn from these great lessons today. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I think it would be safe to say that no other mother endured so much grief and so much pain as did the mother of Jesus and particularly at his crucifixion. If we were going to say that she was the greatest of anything, we might say that she suffered greater than any other mother has suffered. Many have endured the death of their sons. Have they not? Disease, accidents, war, Aren't all of these things unthinkable to you? Can you imagine sending your son off to war and the military people come and they say, we regret to inform you, right? I don't know if any of you have imagined this. I'm a very imaginative person. So when I see this happen in movies or I hear about it happening to people, it's painful. But for Mary, the death of her sweet son, Jesus, was not sudden. She did not hear the news from others. It did not take place somewhere in a faraway land or at a hospital or on the freeway. He died right in front of her. We know she watched his scourging, his walk to Golgotha's hill carrying part of the cross with him. She saw all of the rudeness, the mockery, the humiliation, and the brutality, and she saw it firsthand. Can you even imagine it? Can you imagine what it would be like, honey, to watch Benjamin or Nathaniel or any one of our children suffering pain, pierced and bleeding, crying out that he was thirsty? Offering forgiveness to those who spit on him and mocked him. Christy, can you imagine that kind of pain? I cannot. Some mothers in history have seen their good and innocent sons die, witnessing their own martyrdom. Other godly sons have screamed out in pain in their mother's presence as they were burned at the stake or even crucified and refused to recant their faith. But none suffered with the such certainty as Mary did. Amen? Weeping, the Bible says, as she stood nearby the cross, no doubt she remembered how the angel had come to her, how that in her childhood or her young adolescence, God had miraculously conceived this little one within her womb, having never known a man. 
Not only had she carried this child who made the yet unborn John the Baptist leap in his own mother Elizabeth's womb, but her espoused husband Joseph had been visited by an angel as well. And he was witness of what God had brought about inside of her as her little baby began to grow. He was a witness to the miracle of God. He was told not to cast her out, and he did not cast her out, but kept her. Standing there at the foot of his cross, she must have remembered the song of joy that she sang, the joy also of Simeon and of Anna, who confirmed this dream that she had got to live for 33 years. Could you imagine it? Every day, knowing that your son was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. But not only was He that, honey, He was your Son. Your precious boy. She must have delighted in such a wonderful, godly boy. A pleasure to her throughout her life. Sinless as He was, He must have been a reminder of what men could be, but, but they were not. Sometimes we see glimpses of this in our own children. Isn't it a delight, Andy, to see our, this in our children? We go, oh, what would it be like if they didn't have sin? But Derek, she had this every day. He wasn't filled with guile and, and meanness and revenge and bitterness and pettiness. He was perfect. Wouldn't that be nice to have a kid like that? But nobody, none of us ever did. But Jesus was that way. Not only was He like it when He was a little boy, like today, Liam, it was His birthday, He came in and showered morning kisses on His mother. What a precious little boy He is. Five years old today. Amen? Mary got the pleasure of this day after day, even when He grew out of the innocence of childhood to Manhood, his innocence never left. Can you imagine what it would have been like to know such a one? Having him there with her as he grew from childhood into a young man. He was a young man about his father's business. What would that do to you, Steve, watching your boys? And you say, what are you doing? And they're like, well, what do you think I'm doing, Dad? I'm working for Jesus. I'm working for my father. I mean, what would that do inside your heart? Wow. Luke, could you imagine Nathan? He gets to that age and, and he's doing something. You're like, why aren't, you, why aren't you doing this other thing? And you see he's in there writing out the scriptures and memorizing them. He's like, I need to know the word of God, Father. You'd be like, whoa. Can you imagine it? Matthew sitting beside you right there, you know? You come, you see him, you walk upon him, you, you go over there, you cross the bridge over there, and you see him kneeling down at the bench, calling on God to, to speak to his heart. What would it do in you? What does it do to us when we see our children about their, the business of God? And she saw it from the time he was a, a 12 year old boy when he stayed behind at Jerusalem. Must have filled her with a great deal of joy and pride and, and loveliness. It wasn't hard to imagine that for me. Isn't that what it does in all of us when we see our children loving each other, putting others first, dying to themselves, working hard to keep the home in order? 
to be peacemakers. I'm thankful to see this when I can at my house, but I can't even imagine how it washed over Mary day after day, year after year as he grew. Wow, what satisfaction, what sweetness. I imagine them going to the wedding at Cana. That's why I had Andy read it for us today. There's, there's something I love, Paul. I love to go to uh, a wedding, and I love to have all of my family there, and I love to have them all dressed up and looking nice. Do, do you, some of you people with families, you know what I'm talking about. You go, and you're kind of like... You, you may think that's a false sense of pride. I, I, I really don't. I love going. I love going with my kids. Come on, Derek's got the look on his face, and you're surrounded by your children, and you're walking, and people are like, "There they are. Look at them." And I'm going, "That's right. We're the Robinettes. This is what God's given me. These are my children that love God, that want to be with me, that want to be in the house of God, that love the things of God. I love it." Could you imagine going to a wedding with Jesus? Here she is, and she sees they're having a problem. She's like, my son can take care of that. <laughs> Could you imagine that? I mean, I know what it's like to, to be in Myanmar, and there's an m- engine that's not running, and I'm like, yeah, Benj will take care of that. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? He's on the mountain in the middle of nowhere. He's got, what's he got? He's like, I'm like, he's got it. Next thing you know, the engine's running, and... I mean, that's, that's like, that's way small time, right? We're not talking, we're talking, he's at the wedding feast and they run out of wine. Jesus can do anything. He can't just fix Briggs and Stratton motors, right? Oh yeah, he can handle it. Now, this story to me is interesting because it doesn't explain to us how she knew he could do it. I'm sure many a book or many a legend can be told about the things that he must have done growing up, but somehow she had the idea, Vanita, that he could handle this little problem they were having. And she says something particular. She says, whatever my boy says to do, right, do it. I can feel it, honey. I can feel it. it I can like, hey, if my son tells you something, you better listen. He knows what he's talking about, right? In this case, if my son tells you to do something, if I were you, I'd do it. And they do. And what happens, right? The water is turned to wine. He even says, he says to me, he says, woman, what are you doing? He, like Jesus is talking to his mother. He addresses her woman like he does at the cross. We'll get to this in a minute. Woman, what, what are you doing? And it's kind of like, I can just imagine her being like a mother, like, boy, get in there, come on. And you go, now this is not right. I'm telling you, if you read the story of Cana of Galilee, it's like that. <laughs> Andy just read it for us from John chapter 2. They're at the wedding. He says, do what my son says. And he's like, woman? You know, somehow he didn't really understand that this was going to be this day. Now, I, don't, I can't get into the humanity and the deity thing, but it sounds like he doesn't really want to do this. But his mother has told him to do it, and he's there, and he does it. And it's his first miracle. Mary was well aware of the power of her son. There was nothing 
he could not do. She was right to tell them, whatever he tells you to do, do it. How that must have felt that day and how much more difficult it would have made the day of his death because she knew he could do anything. It was probably hard to not ask him, don't do it, son. Please come down from the cross. Please stop these men. She knew he could do that. But she just wept. Jesus had five to six times in the New Testament told them, I've got to die, I've got to die, I've got to die. And even though the disciples didn't hear it, I think his mother heard him loud and clear. He was her miracle baby, her firstborn son, her hope, her beautiful boy, her good and kind son. If this were not enough, he was the Messiah, the Christ, the hope of all of Israel, her Lord. No woman has ever gone from such heights to such depths in the history of all of mankind. God so aptly had her name this. Her father's name was Joseph and he named her Mary. And her name, Mary, many of you know and you've heard before that it is, that it means bitterness. What, a, what an apt name it is. Many of you might not know that, that Mary is the exact same thing as Miriam. That what is translated in the Old Testament as Miriam is the same thing that's translated in the New Testament as Mary. The Bible and the New Testament readers, they could have, they could have just as easily just written Miriam. It's the same thing. There's no difference whatsoever. Mary's name translated Marie or Maria in Latin. It means bitterness, but it's bitterness in two different senses. When you think of bitterness, we think of something bad, but also that it carried a connotation that was deeper than this, Andy. It was, a, it was a connotation of strength. You know, Elizabeth, when you cook, if something is too sweet and you put something bitter, something bitter will, it is a strong taste, right? And it will permeate, right? And so when someone would say, uh, uh, bitter they were saying strong okay and so there's a strong there's a strength to this as well the meaning of strength comes from the strength of a taste the bitter waters of of Mara bitterness in the herb myrrh can you see how these words if you see them if you look at them Mary myrrh Mara all of these words are very similar and they have the same same connotation the strength of myrrh, the power of its odor to permeate is a theme all throughout Scripture. The Song of Solomon is filled with references to this combined meaning as Solomon talks about the power and the strength of the odor of myrrh. Myrrh is the oil of joy and of wedding nights, the oil of anointing of kings. True power in this anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, for in salvation and in life, there is a bitterness and there is a strength. There is a sweetness and there is a joy. At the same time, there is bitterness. And that's what we see at the cross. That's what we see in the life of Mary. As sweet as it was to be his mother, as sweet as it had been to know him, as sweet as it had been to have been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, it was bitter to watch him die and bitter to watch him suffer. 
For Moses' sister Miriam, it would mean strong and stubborn and rebellious. But for Mary, the mother of Jesus, it was her beautiful and unwavering strength. Strength that comes with the determination of faith. Our Old Testament reading read earlier from Exodus 15 gives us an interesting hint at the depth of the richness of God's plan and the many types and shadows of His Word. It would be easy for me to preach an entire sermon about this or several just about this one part. Exodus 15 shows us the joy of the deliverance of the children of Israel. The sweetness of the destruction of Pharaoh. But then takes us to what? To what kind of waters? To the bitter waters. But then brings us back again to the what kind of waters? To the sweet waters when they take a tree and they cast it in the water. We know that a tree... Here, the tree is representing the cross of Christ and how the bitterness that life and the bitterness of sin and the bitterness of all these things can be made sweet, but it has to be made sweet through something bitter and difficult. The Bible says in order for us to live, we have to do what? We have to die. And Jesus told them over and over again that unless the kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. So even though they're in this, this, this bitterness of this difficulty, of this suffering, we have at the same time the joy of knowing what it's going to bring. Many times we suffer great difficulty in our lives, and we know it. In the few short verses, we see the dying Egyptians in the waters of the sea, the songs of Moses and Miriam. God's Word is people standing, in the bitter, standing at the bitter waters of Mara. It's only when a dead tree is cast in these waters they become sweet. Strength and bitterness combined together. And that's what Mary was. Bitter in the depth of her grief. Strong in the sense of her resolve to be the only one to stay with him throughout. Without wavering from the beginning of his life. From his conception to the end of his life. Only one can be said to have ever done that. It was Mary. The strength God gave her was the power of the Holy Spirit. It would have been easier for her to run away. It would have been simpler for her to hide her face from what she saw on the cross, but instead she stood by there. She wept, and she saw it blurry through the eyes of tears, but she stayed, and she would not leave Him. We experience a small measure of this at the death of every saint. Bitter is our grief for our loss, yet sweet was the great gift of their lives. Amen? It's a bittersweet we wouldn't be hurting so bad if they hadn't been so wonderful, if we hadn't loved them so much. But, oh, thank God that we got them for a time. Amen. Amen. And there she was. She was in the sweetness of it all, giving thanks for the 33 years of the blessedness of the life of this son of hers, and yet bitter at the horrible death. And there she was. Mary had not, like many others, deserted Jesus in his final hours. Only one man stood with him now, unwavering. We talked about him last week, this disciple now. It's amazing. Now, one of, now he's got a new disciple. He's pinned to the cross next to him. Jesus never stopped reaching out to lost people. May we never give up doing this. Besides these two men, of course, we know that John was there as well. There was a small group of women who stood with Mary, weeping with her and suffering with her. I think it's no accident 
that these three women all had the same name. Their name was Bitter, 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 Mary, Mary, Mary. She wasn't alone there with these three women who shared not only the same name, but a portion of her bitterness. Mary, the wife of Cleophas, said here in verse 25, as I said to be Mary's sister, is more accurately her aunt. It wouldn't make sense to have two sisters with the same name, of course. Her husband, Cleophas, is one of those who later encounters Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Church history says that Cleophas was the brother of Joseph, Mary's husband, who most agree had died. Or it could have been also the brother of her husband who had died. It's, there's some, so she could have been a sister-in-law or even an aunt, but she was most assuredly a very close family member. She would have been intimately acquainted with Jesus from his birth until his this day of his crucifixion and her grief must have been bitter that day as well standing with these sisters of sorts was Mary Magdalene she had lived a life of bitterness and even demon possession until as the Bible tells us in Mark 16 9 and Luke 8 that Jesus met her and cast seven demons out of her from that moment Jesus had taken her as a friend she had been a disciple and she was close to him he made all of the years that followed sweet as the ointment that was poured upon his feet just the days before the nails were driven through them as we will see later he had even more reward in store for this woman to be the first person to witness his resurrection but Mary, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene stood there a trinity of bitter sorrow and strength as they refused to leave his side that would soon bleed for them. Even in these final minutes of his life, the life that Jesus is still teaching us, every word and action, even as he suffered, proclaims loudly these truths. I'll read for you my text again. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, the mother Sister Mary, wife of Cleophas, Mary Magdalene, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. When I read these words, it sends a pain through me, thinking, think of it if you dare with me, bearing the pain of his death, knowing the depth of the grief that those who were looking on must be feeling must have been an affliction in of itself for Christ. Could you imagine Luke suffering, but then looking down at your mother having to watch you suffer? It would have caused him pain. Still in all of his torment, he sees his mother and his dear friend John. John, who refers to himself several times in this narrative, refers to himself in John 19 here as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And of course, we know he had leaned upon the breast of the Savior as they shared their last supper. We know that he loved John. He alone had come at the end, even if he had run away terrified as they took him from the garden. The grief of knowing Jesus was going to die that had brought sleep upon he and Peter in the garden was nothing like the grief he was feeling now. The idea was so unthinkable. It had now had become worse in its reality before his eyes. And Jesus calls out, Woman! It's reminiscent of 
the way he addressed his mother at the, at the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee. He didn't say mother, and there's, there's no uh, problem with the translation. Some commentators say he didn't say mother because he thought it maybe would cause her more pain. Could you imagine hearing your child cry out, Mother! And so he addressed her as woman. Some say that's why he did it. Others say maybe he was renouncing the fact at this moment that he was her son, that he was going on to be with his heavenly father, and that he was going to assign another son to be her son, which was what he was about to do. But we do know he would not have caused his mother unnecessary pain. From this moment on, John would be her son and she his mother. This was Jesus' way of turning over the care of his now advanced in years mother who was evidently by now a widow and in need of care. I'll read for you verse 26 again and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother, as he pointed to John. He wasn't saying, Behold thy son, as in look at me. He was saying, Look at John. He's your son now. And John, this is your mother. And from that hour, I love it, from that hour, this tells me something about John. From that hour, he took responsibility of her and brought her into his own home. So what's all this mean for us today? Jesus taught us that while Christ obeyed God, He did so while still performing the duties of a son to His mother. As we're reminded each Lord's Day when we gather together, when we read the Ten Commandments, as children, and all of us here certainly are somebody's children, we are to honor our Father and our... Honor your Father and your... This is what the Fifth Commandment requires. It's not a command against something, but it's a command that requires us to do something. It's not, hey, don't be mean to your old man. Hey, don't talk back to your old man. No, it's honor your father and mother. That takes, that takes work, Rebecca. They say, how can I honor my dad? How can I honor my mom? How do I do that? Sometimes we're worried about the things that we do. We say, is that a sin? But you know, there are, there are sins in what we don't do. When we do not honor our father and our mother. When we don't look at them and say, you know, God gave me a mom and he gave me a dad. And as I honor them, I honor God. Children, are you honoring your parents like that? I think as homeschool families, I think that we really, really fall short of this. Because we're with our parents so much. The kids are there all day, every day. We see mom and dad at their worst. We see them so much. This familiarity kind of breeds a, a little bit of a disrespect. So I think we make it harder really for our children to do what God commands them to do. If you're here and you're a child, ask yourself, am I honoring my father? Am I honoring my mother? This would be a worthy application. Jesus was taking the time to honor his mother. Jesus did not sin, and so we know He honored His mother. There are times in the history where it may seem a little bit fuzzy about this, and it, it may even seem that Jesus is not honoring to His mother. 
But I'll tell you something I would love to be clear in this church and clear in my family is that I want my children to honor their father and I want them to honor their mother, but I don't want them to honor me more than they honor God. Amen? On what my mom said, my dad said, well, there's a time when you got to say, what does God say? That's what we're doing in our youth training program. We're, we're, our kids should be raised that God is the highest. That God is who we are to honor above all else. Amen? In fact, Jesus says some pretty startling things in his life about this. If you remember back, we just talked about this back in the caravan, back home to Nazareth, Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. They were upset with him, but he replied back to them what might have even seemed dishonoring. Didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? There were few other times where things didn't look so good. He seemed at first to refuse to help, as I mentioned, at the wedding feast of Cana. What? Woman? Right? Remember when his sister and his mothers, they came and his mother and his sisters and brothers came and they came looking for him. And he goes, hey, you know who my mother is? My brother and my sister? Let me tell you who they are. It's they that do the will of my Father in heaven. That could even be seen as dishonoring. But it wasn't. It was honoring God. Honor your father and mother, but honor God beyond that. Amen? He says in Matthew 10, 4, He that loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 41. Luke 14, 26, If anyone hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. I love my children. I love my wife. I love my mother. But when my mother said, you cannot go to Myanmar, my mom did. That's not fair. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go. It's dangerous, Marky. That's what she called me, Marky. She's my mom. She can do that. Don't you try that. Don't go. And I'd say, Mother, I love you, but God's sending me to Myanmar, and I'll be going to Myanmar. There are times in my life, my wife, she says, don't, hey, hey, hey. And I go, hey. I love you, but my love for you doesn't approach my love for God. Okay? I hate my wife and my children and my parents in comparison to how I love my God, and that should be yours too. You should say, what does God's Word say? What does God say to me? I must follow Him and do His will and love Him. And I'll tell you what, you'll really please your parents if you do that. They'll be like, wow. You see, people who long to be people pleasers... They fall into sin very easily. And it's very difficult to follow God when you're just trying to please another man, even if that man's your dad and your, or your mother. There are some of you that will have to take a departure from the way that your parents go. I hope that none of you do, but you could be put in a place to do that. I have had to do that in my life. Honoring my, I, said, I told my mom, I said, you know, I'm honoring you, mother, by not listening to you right now. You taught me to love the Word of God. You taught me to follow the Lord, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do that, and after that I will honor you. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. He had done, Andy, all that his Father had told him. He had finished everything that God had given him to do. But he still, after he had done all the, that the Father would have him do, he then looked, and he did not neglect to honor his mother.
When we look at honoring our father and mother, this idea cannot be divorced from the concept as it is today. If I say honor your mother or your father today, that what does most people think it means? They think it means don't talk disrespectful, right? Say please and say thank you. But there's a whole lot more to honor than that. In the biblical concept of honor, there is the concept of financial responsibility. Everybody say financial responsibility. Sons of mine, if I die, it's not good enough to say, yes ma'am, mama, you better take care of her. And if you don't, you are worse than an infidel. Now, do I think they wouldn't? Of course I think they would. But what I'm saying is this concept of honor, honor is not, it's like, it's like trying to tell someone love is just how you feel. No, love is what you what? What you, what you do. This idea of financial responsibility for the well-being of our mothers and our fathers falls to the children. It's in the good old USA, we have turned this over to the government. But God has better things for us if we honor our fathers and mothers by planning to take care of them when they cannot provide for themselves. If you're unclear about this and you think I'm sort of stretching it because I'm going to turn 50 this year and I want to make sure that I don't get neglected. Uh, you can look to 1 Timothy chapter 5 for clarification. Uh, I don't really have time to fully explore this, but I'm going to kind of run through this. You might be familiar with Paul's instructions here to Timothy concerning the care of widows and aged elders. This is also not a, uh, a preparatory. I may be preaching about this law, a lot. Once I cross 50, I'm going to be preaching about how the church must care for the aged elders. 1 Timothy 5, rebuke not an elder but entreat him as a father. He's talking about this concept of honor here. And the younger men as brethren. The elder women, treat them as mothers. So what he's trying to say, el the elders of your church treat with honor. The elderly woman in the church, treat them with honor, just like your parents. Younger as sisters with all purity. Verse 3, honor widows that are widows indeed. So when he says honor widows that are widows indeed, Andy, what does he mean by honor them? He means take financial responsibility over their care. If they have children or nephews, let them first learn how to take care of them at home. Let them requite their parents, it says, for that is good and acceptable before God. But she that's a widow indeed is desolate. She trusts God. She continues in supplications and prayer day and night. She liveth in pleasure is dead while she lives. These things give in charge that, that the woman may be blameless. Verse 8. If any provide not for their own, especially for those of their own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Get it? Honoring is making sure they are taken care of and they have what they need. This is what was so important that children who did not do this for their parents were considered the lowest form of scum. It was so important to the church that if the people in the church didn't take care of their own parents, then who should? The church should. You see, financial responsibility, we don't just live to get by every day. We need to be thinking about the care of others and the care when we get older. The Bible says a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We can, we can have the idea that we're just working to survive, just to spend time with our families right now. And we don't really think about the love and the honor that goes into financial preparedness for our families and for those that we have been given the charge to care. 
Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the husband of one wife, well reported for her good works. It goes on and on. Let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor. Everybody say double honor. When I get about 70, I'm going to probably preach on this maybe once a week because double honor means double pay. I don't know if you know this, but it means double pay. You think I'm kidding. I'm really not. And if you think I'm kidding, it's, I'll read the next verse. For the scripture says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. See what I'm saying? You know what? We don't not preach the, 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 the parts of the Bible that might benefit us, right? Like if you think you can't preach uh, to your wife, wives obey your husbands. If you can't preach to your children, children obey your parents. If you can't preach to your congregation, uh, submit yourselves to your elders. I mean, we talk, I talk about everything else in the Bible. Why shouldn't I be able to talk about this? Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. It's got me thinking, Luke, I need to be doing more Bible teaching, more Bible teaching. Because I hardly do any right now. Just barely, barely get any out there. Jesus was making sure his mother was honored, taking care of even after his death. I like the way Calvin puts this. John Calvin puts it in his commentary on John 19. He said, it often happens that when God calls us to the performance of anything, that our parents or our wife or our children draw us in a contrary direction so that we cannot give equal satisfaction to all. If we place men in the same rank with God, we judge amiss. We must therefore give the preference to the command to worship in the service of God, after which... After far as we are able, we must then give to men what is their due. Amen? And so what was due his mother? It's amazing to me. He's dying on the cross. He's bleeding. He's converting a man. He's forgiving the people that are killing him. And now he's taking care of his mother and making sure she's got a place to live and she's got a commitment from a man who's willing to take her and take care of her. Wow. That's pretty stout, Andy. He's not leaving her uncared for. He, you know, he could have been saying, I'm doing really important stuff. I'm saving the whole world. I'm bringing someone to be salvation for eternity. I'm fulfilling the scriptures of the Old Testament. I'm about to be sown as a seed into the ground and be raised from the dead. Haven't I done enough? And he goes, no, not quite. My mom's not taken care of. Would to God that after saving the world, the first thing that would come to our mind is honoring our mothers. How many mothers would, would agree with that? Raise your hand, mothers, if you would want them to obey the Word of God and honor their mothers. Come on, you don't have to be bad raising your hand. Raise it. I'll read my text again, and I'll make one more point. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus His mother. Everybody say, His mother. Mary, the wife of Cleophas, Mary Magdalene, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Calvin makes this one point, which I don't know that's that pertinent to our way of life, but he says this. He said, hence it is also evident that the apostles had their families. For John could have not exercised hospitality toward the mother of Christ or taken them into his own home if he didn't have a home to take her in. Right? 
if he had not a home or any regular way of living. Those men are fools who think that the apostles relinquished all their property and came to Christ naked and empty. But they are worse than fools who make the perfection of any man of God to consist of being a beggar. That's not what God requires of us. John had a home to take the mother of Jesus to. He had a bed for her to sleep in and he provided for her. And so we see the benefit of these wonderful things. They're not to be first, but they're to make the list. Amen? As Jesus would say to others, he said, these things ought you to have done, but not left the other what? Undone. There is a call here to honoring our mothers, to thinking about financial responsibility, but only after we have honored God first. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this, this extra thing, Lord, that we could have missed in this story, this powerful thing that has great practical implications for us. Lord, may every one who is a child, which includes everyone here, may they ask themselves the questions, am I honoring God? Am I honoring my mother? Am I honoring my father? If not... Lord, would you convict them of their sin? Would you lead them to repentance, Lord, that the mothers and fathers in this church would be honored? Lord, that as you honored your mother and cared for her, oh God, Lord, that we would honor our mothers in the same way and our fathers. Lord, we pray today as we are drawn to the practical side, the application of the gospel, Lord, that we would see how important it is for us to maintain a home for hospitality, to maintain good financial standing and resources if we can so that others might be blessed. Lord, as we are called to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, we would realize that part of that seeking is a seeking of building up something that is strong enough to support and bolster not only ourselves, but others. Lord, as we seek first the kingdom of God, may we a blessing not only to ourselves, but to many. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.